Hi everyone, this is Jam, and this is the Life of Jam live video podcast. This is season two, episode three, Words Are Power, and I am here with a special guest, Romaine Washington. You can see her on screen. Wave hi, Romaine. Give, give me one second so I can share this on my own wall, and then we are going to start. So Romaine Washington is here, and the reason that I call this episode Words are power is because words are power, and you'll see why. Okay. So, Romaine, let me tell you about Romaine. Romaine Washington is the author of Purgatory Has an Address by Bamboo Dark Press that was published in 2021 last year, and Sirens in Her Belly by – I'm going to bring you in here. Romaine, say the name of the publisher. Jammy, Jammy Publishing. Yeah, and that's a San Bernardino press, which is very impressive. Uh, Romaine's writing has been published in anthologies, including Lull Water Review, Emory University, Stand Our Ground, Poems for Trayvon Martin and Marissa Alexander, and the San Bernardino Singing Anthology, which is Vinelandia, among others. She has presented her work in a wide variety of venues, From the National Poetry Slam to KPFK and NPR, she is originally from where I'm I'm at right now, San Bernardino, and she's been teaching high school students for over 20 years and currently resides in the Inland Empire. Welcome, Romaine. Hi. Oh, you can hear me now. (laughs) Hi, it's so good to be here. (laughs) I am so happy to have you, I got to say. It's such an honor. We've known each other a while now, and we actually met through our Bamboo Dark Press endeavor. Uh, You wrote Purgatory Has an Address. I wrote Portrait of a Deputy Public Defender. I became punk rock lawyer, and that's how we became friends. So let's jump right in. All right. You have two poetry books, uh, Purgatory Has an Address, as well as Sirens in Her Belly. I love both of these covers. They're stunning. Oh, thank you. Um, I'm jumping in there. Purgatory Has an Address, my older son, Marcus Moscato, he drew the cover for this. And that's one of the beautiful things of working with the small press. And this one, actually, the um, Nikia Cheney, who's one of the head editors of Jammy, said, yeah, you can go ahead and design yours. And so I found this and they tweaked it a little bit. And so both of them were from my heart and eye. Wow. I did not know that, that your son designed Bamboo Dart. And I love some of the artwork inside. My son did all of that, too. Uh, (laughs) It's beautiful. It's beautiful. And I called this episode Words Are Power before I read uh, Sirens in Her Belly, which I had ordered, but which took a little while to get here. And what's really interesting is the first poem in your book in, in Sirens in Her Belly is called It Slipped Out. And the last two lines actually are about words is power, which is right on point. Do you mind reading that poem for us and talking about how words kind of impact your own use of power? Yes. um, I'll do two. I'll do two. I'm going to read the poem. I'm actually going to share the source for the poem, and then I'll talk about words and power. Feet slap, floor of fire, nowhere to run, 
from the disembodied tongue and the sound of those words twisted in a knotted fist. Porcelain body finely fired and cooled, silence trickling from my eyes. Impervious mirrors deflect words like a current returning to its source. We both gulp for air, flames and water fight for flesh. We are searching for sticks and stones, visible bruises, or a reason to explain this pain. Words are too powerful. Words are not powerful enough. Wow. And so thank you. And so um, I was sharing with my son last night. I said, you know, Don Imus, I don't know if you remember the whole Don Imus thing where he called the um, female team nappy-headed hoes. I do remember that. And so that just went to the core of me on so many levels, no matter as a Black woman, no matter the level of excellence that you put into something, to be reduced to that. Um, and so that poem was, that was the birth of that poem, because those words, and it's not just those words, it's uh, the compilation of words, um, negative and positive. Words can influence you to do and go. Martin Luther King Jr. is a fine example. Barack, a former president, Barack Obama, fine example of the power of words for the positive. Um, but they can also hurt and tear you down in ways that you cannot see. And yeah. the thing about that is once the pain has been released with those words, it does. I, I'm sorry, doesn't do it. Um, it doesn't. Yeah, and, and even trying to write about pain or joy, the words fall short of really the experience that you want to share. So it shares in a way to motivate, but also you just can't get into the heart of somebody else completely. So words are powerful. Words are not powerful enough. Well, you, I had never really thought about it in the reverse. I always think of words as power, but words are power in a negative sense in the way that it can be used against you. And you're right. You have to reclaim it. But can you? And is sorry enough? It's not, you know, when people assume I'm a paralegal when I'm in court or tell me, you know, or assume that my client or uh, another attorney friend of mine who's of color is a client, Right. Yes. Because she's yes. black. Yes. So offensive at our core. But the, the hardest part of it is that it hurts us. Yes. And, and we internalize it. You carry it with you day after day. And um, even when you do all the, what do they call it? Mindfulness in the moment and you let go mm -hmm. of the negative, you give it back to the person, but you can't pretend like you didn't live the experience. Mm -hmm. So, Yeah. Yeah. But what we need to realize, and I'm sure you know that, is like it's not us, right? No. I mean, it, do it doesn't matter how no. I dress. It doesn't right. matter how I come across these yeah. old white men. And it's always old white men for some reason, um, and young white men even. You know, um, I'm not even going to say that. I'm, I'm yeah. you know, I'm going to say that it's people with blinders on. It can even be, um, and you know, good point. I'm getting political, but um, even when it comes to Trayvon Martin, people were like, oh. Zimmerman can't be um, biased. He's um, Latino. And so mm -hmm. it's not even, 
just, you know, a gender and an, it could be anybody anywhere. So you don't know. Really. 100%. Yeah. No, really good point. Even within our communities, there's a lot of racism against color, against, you know, yeah. class, um, you know, the Afro Latino, Latino yeah. divide. It's huge. And, um, and part of that, it's not, it is an individual choice, but also we live in a world of institutional racism. And so self-loathing appears and it appears and then it comes wow. out. So it's not just, I don't want to limit it and put the stereotype of just one. It could be, yeah, the words come out. Um, but the words can come out beautiful and golden and you hold on to those too. So you are good with golden words. So yeah. As are you much better than me even. I mean, you're, you're, you resonate. And what I found most striking about this 2015 book, uh, Sirens in Her Belly, which everyone should buy. You can buy it on Amazon. You can probably also buy it through the press or through bookshop.org or go local if you can. I got it on Amazon because I needed it quick. And um, But it's so resonant even now. And it's six yeah. years later or seven years later and even more. And the fact that you had a San Bernardino publisher, I was yeah. just like, now that's yeah. true art talking about your own community with a press that's based in the community. Um, when did you first start writing poetry? I started when I was 10, 10. <laughs> and um, I was really, remain. I, I was really blessed to go to a private school, St. Anthony's when it was functional and at its prime. We used to memorize poems all the time and they would have us write poetry. And so I started and the nuns accused me of copying um, one of the poems that I wrote. And first I was deeply offended. And then I thought, oh, wait a minute, I must not be half bad. <laughs> so, so I continued writing. The first place I shared was in church um, at New Hope Missionary Baptist Church. And I've kind of, depending on life experiences, I've immerse myself in the community and then I have sons and I, you know, and, but now I'm walking poetry. So I'm just, <laughs> yeah. With St. Anthony's in San Bernardino. Cause I know you grew up there. Yes. St. Anthony's was in San Bernardino. New Hope Missionary Baptist Church was in San Bernardino. Wow. So all of my, oh, and the first time I went on air was at San Bernardino Valley college. They used to have a radio station and I don't know what got into me. I was 16, 17 years old, and I used to sit and listen to Nikki Giovanni on the uh, radio because back then you had um, The Last Poets, and I would listen to them. And so one day I got on the bus, and I went down to San Bernardino Valley College, and I told the DJ, I want you to put me on the air. <laughs> and he looked at me, and he said, we only do um, accept professionals. And I said, I am professional. That's right. And he sat me down and recorded it and put mixed it with jazz and played my uh, poetry that whole summer. So wow, how old were you? I was seven. It was before I graduated. I was seventeen wow. years old. Yeah. So and you've then, always been a poet, man. Yes. And then I went back into. I'm a natural introvert. It's hard for me to do this. Yeah. And so um, I went back. No, because you are a very quiet, thoughtful, red reflective person but when you read there's this other side to you yes that's and this is what allows me to totally connect this is 
on my website, I have community and I have all these pictures because that's where I feel at home with poets and poetry. And so um, that allows me to my heart just to be out there. Yeah. Well, you know, the best part of being a writer is becoming friends with people like you and people don't understand, you know, now at work, I really am able to just distance myself a little more from the politics of it because I get so much love from my writing community now. I get that what I needed. And the words. Yeah. And the words, the words wrap themselves around you, I'm sure, Ah. with love. And so then as things are coming at you, You've got those words. Yeah. 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 So um, in this book, Sirens in Her Belly, mm-hmm. um, we talked about the artwork and we talked about how it kind of came to be with Nakia Cheney. I didn't know she was the editor of that. But there's such a sense of reckoning is the only way I could think of it, of justice. Of There's also an abuse theme, a clemency theme memorializing history. Um, For example, in the poem Warning Shot, you address Michelle Alexander's case, who was a woman that you talk about who, and you did a lot of research, obviously, who was sentenced to 20 years for merely firing a warning shot in the air. And she was later released. But um, I see this all the time in the deputy public defender, these kind of sentences, how it's kind of random and unfair and how victims are uh, prosecuted and persecuted. Yeah. Um, where nothing makes sense. Right. Right. Um, so where it's but the core at it, of it is racism. And how did you choose to write about Michelle Alexander? Because she's not as not as many people know about her as they do about Trayvon Martin, um, you know, because of the circumstances of that, the horrific um, circumstances. So what made you link these two people and what made you want to write about Michelle Alexander, which I'm so, I was like blown away, like, wow, you know, I, I didn't even know you had her in the book. Yeah, there's a couple of things. One, I, I came from an abusive relationship. And so Sorry. I, um, I know, and I know how abusers can, um, even when you're out of it, twist things around where you're you're perpetually fighting not to be a victim. And so uh, that my heart automatically went out to Marissa and I understood there's certain news stories that when I hear them, I follow them to the end. And Marissa's Mm. was one. And it just so happened. I had a friend who was telling me she got published in an anthology and the anthology, um, now I'm trying to remember the name of it. Um, they were publishing poems for Marissa and Trayvon. And yeah, so um, writing about Marissa was second nature for me. I could visualize everything. And the more I read about her, the more um, present I felt with her. And I loved that there were vigils for her and that people mm-hmm. protested because oftentimes as African-American women, um, there isn't the there aren't the protests and and um, when you think of Sandra Bland and you think of Breonna Taylor, those are a few. But when you think of African American males, there's quite a few that that get public attention. So, but yeah, yeah. So that was the yeah. birth of that. Stand your ground. That was the name of the anthology. Stand your ground. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, it really is horrific that someone can be the victim and be protecting and defending themselves, and then they get prosecuted, convicted for shooting. Oh my gosh. 
all she did. Oh, see, I'm still upset. No, tell, tell, tell people. Yeah. She took a gun. She knew that her um, ex was abusive and they had children. She was going, they were going for visitation. She was going to get the kids. He started and she pulled the gun out and she shot it into the ceiling. She didn't even aim it at anybody, but it was saying, leave me alone. Give yeah. me my space. I have protection. Well, he called the police on her. And that's where, and she had to, and I'm sure you're familiar with this. Um, they told her she could plead guilty and, you know, less years, or she could fight it and more years. And mm -hmm. it seems like a no brainer. I'm going to fight this. Obviously, I wasn't trying to hurt anybody, but she wasn't found innocent. And they had sentenced, gave her the maximum because she used court time. As you know, that's a lot of times what that's what's behind that sentencing. Yeah, it's coercion, right? Yeah. Let, let me get my guilty verdict. Let me deprive you of your right to trial, of your right to defend yourself when you are the victim in the case. Yeah. And you are firing a warning shot. That's not even negligent discharge. You know, negligent discharge of a firearm is when you do it negligently and it goes off and it could have hurt someone. You know, assault is when you point at someone. Um, intentionally. But I mean, what she did was use the least force as possible, which yeah. is shoot into the air, right? And say, leave me alone. Right. And, you know, it's just so offensive and again. And you could see the pictures. I looked at her photos and you could see the change from being free to mm -hmm. being in prison. But you slowly, as you continue to watch, you could see her come out of it. But um, yeah. And you know that that's not an isolated case. And oh, in, no. <laughs> not in, at all. in that situation, I do look at gender and I, you know, and the power of gender in the judicial system. So, yeah. 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 And I, you know, I'm well aware of that. And um, do you want to read that poem just so people get a context of it? Sure. Um, and you've already given, I put footnotes at the bottom of this for, of, of different things for a couple of reasons. Um, there are teachers that teach this book in social justice classes, and I wanted to give frame of reference. And matter of fact, there's a professor at Cal State San Bernardino who's using it this coming semester. And this is warning shot, and I tried to do it in the image of a gun. Kind of, you could see the... Um, so this was 2014. This is almost a decade ago. Each threat and eardrumming menacing decree wedged into a sliver of sanity, adrenaline coursing through fingers loaded and ready. One more lie, curse, hit will be the last. Arrested for talking back, speaking out, shooting off at the mouth, striking that impenetrable ceiling of death, resurrected, villainous, Victim, battered abuser, eyes bear down the barrel of time, the sun stands still. So that, wow. <laughs> yeah, that is, um, that is Marissa's, what I snapshot from um, that experience. Yes. Yeah. And I think because of that case, things are changing. People are realizing that we should not be um, 
you know, punishing the victim. And I think a a law just uh, came out um, in California, I believe it is, just for this very thing where you cannot do that anymore. I just saw that. I don't know. I'm a news kind of certain things I hear and I grab hold of it. So I'm grateful for that. You know. Yeah. And we have some clients that were sexually trafficked. And now there's diversion for those clients because those clients were victims. Yes. And often they were coerced into doing crimes. And the, the one thread I see running through females that are incarcerated, it's usually um and it's not a stereotype. It's true because I've seen it. Statistically speaking, a lot of them are either coerced into doing the crime or they're victims that are um, part with their partner who are committing a crime and they get caught up in it. The woman I represented at Chino State Prison, Rhonda Dias, when I was in law school, her husband killed someone in their back room and Rhonda was sitting on the couch with her baby and um, she was convicted of felony murder. And we got her out 15 years, about 12 years later um, because she was shackled in Riverside Jail. And she was a a white woman, but she was very poor. She didn't testify in her second trial. When she testified, there was a mistrial. The jury hung. When she chose not to testify, she was convicted and got 15 to life for doing nothing. Nothing. She did nothing. She was a battered woman completely under the, the boot of her husband. This who is, got less time than she did because he pled out. Oh, my gosh. And yeah. see, that's the other thing. When we look at the system, it's um, the poverty. It really is a money system to at the core. And um, I wrote a poem about Khalif Browder, whose tragic story is all about not having the money to pay the bail, to get the uh, lawyers. And juxtaposed against that, around that time period, there was also a young man who was white and who was came from an affluent family. He had killed some people and got off um, on probation and killed a couple mm-hmm. more while he was out on probation. Um, so, you know, uh, DUIs or whatever. I don't remember all of the details, but I just remember the juxtaposition of the two cases. So it definitely is a money, um, a money uh, mill. Well, yeah. And when you look at the intersection of race, poverty, and mental health, it's staggering. The statistics are that um, 40% of all the mentally ill, which are primarily people of color that end up in the criminal justice system should would are only prosecuted because of the stigma of mental health. Right. And Mm. there's certain crimes that are um, used against the mentally ill, especially people of color, like criminal threats. Someone's talking to themselves. Someone walks by them and they're like, I'm going to kill you. But they're talking to themselves. Right. Right. And it's all about someone's tolerance. Yeah. Who grew up in a blue collar neighborhood. I wouldn't I wouldn't call the police on that. I know that guy ain't going to hurt me unless he has like a machete or something. Right. Um, But an Mm. affluent let's say non-person of color might actually be super scared by that. And it doesn't mean that what their fear is, is not that they don't feel it, but should that be validated? Right. And, you know, again, Oh, I wouldn't even say it needs to be affluent right? for, you know, the police to be called and, um, 
it's it's heavy. It's it's a it's heavy. the blinders. You're right. It's yeah. the person with the blinders that maybe yeah. doesn't know any mentally ill people, doesn't have that in their family, or doesn't yeah. know they have that in their family, hasn't seen that, hasn't been educated about it. So it yeah. really is just about education. But back to bail, you know, that is really changing. There's a new yes. case called Humphreys, um, the Humphreys case, and what that case says is that incarceration should be the last resort, but judges are using it against us in Riverside County and saying that we should set zero bail so people can't get out no matter what because they're a danger. Yeah, it's really, um, but in other counties, Humphreys is being used to get people out based on the fact that economic privilege should not be the reason why you're in jail or not pre-trial. We're talking pre-trial, right? Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Where there's a presumption of innocence. Do you want to read that poem about bail? Um, If you have it handy. The Khalif Browder one? Yes, please. Oh my gosh. My heart is still, I'm still going to write about that. His mom, I, I have bits and pieces all over the place because his mom died of a heart attack. Um, after, Khalif committed suicide because of all of the um was Khalif at Rikers? Um yeah, in New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there's footage. Um yeah. there was a New Yorker article about him. Yes. It was it was uh tragic. Yes. His case was continued so many times. And then they just opened the doors and said after they realized their quote unquote mistake, um then they just open the doors. Um, I'm looking for it. And that's bad. I should know where it is. No, if you don't, it's fine. We can come back to it. But, you know, it's just, I, I'm going to read some comments while you look for that. Um, Frances Barella is watching. She was in my Trey Libras group. She uh, lives in Riverside. Hi, Frances. Uh, Christina Stockdale from Las Vegas is watching. She's a friend of mine. She says, hello, ladies. Hi. Tracy, uh, my best friend, Tracy Saul says, hi, beauties. Aww. Frank Kearns, who owns uh, my publishing, the book, the publisher of my book, uh, Tales of a Inland Empire Girl, Los Nietos, he's here. He says, perpetually fighting not to be a victim. Such a strong conversation. Mm. Uh, Mama Judy is here. My mom, Judy, is here. Uh, and she says, love it. Very good. Oh, well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for your comments and for being here um, and being in the midst of our, our conversation. Thank you for reading those. Um, OK, it's called Exonerated, a Crucifixion, 1993 to 2015 for Khalif Browder. Prison guard batons turn his pulsing brain to crumbling brick. Razor-thin cracks of uncontrollable impulse, blind eyewitness, shackles his freedom. Slice by slice, he stares, blank hands and empty lips, peeling oranges already devoured. No money, no bail. His lamb tongue on the roof of his mouth gnaws away at the slices of thought that dribble down the back of his throat. Amendment 13 revoked, counting backwards, eight, six, five, four amendments, morsels of memory spew, bones rattling down corridors into solitary corners, filled with elbows and toes, shavings of nails, 
Gangs replace bareback overseer beatings. His eyes bleed seeds and pulp squeezed dry. Hallucinations form brick walls crushing towards him. Pus oozing welts raise a battered map, a thousand days and two centuries in the making. Orange prison jumpsuits pummel his innocence, sheared and deboned by judges with razor gavels. Time served for no crime. Charges dropped with no trial. This nightmare is a lie. This nightmare is living. This nightmare will not die. This nightmare is in the orange brick sheets he slices and carves with razors of waking howls. Oh, uh, Let's I, have a moment of silence for him and his mother. Thank you. Wow. Because I'm going to cry. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my goodness. Okay. You give him power. You give his story power. And you really highlight the role of everyone in this tragedy. The judges, the prosecutors, the jailers. The guards, the system, the amendments that were um, when it had. I loved this. I wrote this before the thirteenth came out. The documentary. Oh, I loved it. But that it, you know, I was like, that's that amend those amendments that are broken and the slavery, the enslavement that we're put back into. And I say we because then we become a collective when there's an injustice. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's just say it what it is, you know, uh, as an abolitionist, I have no problem saying that this system is a direct descendant of slavery. And we all know it is because the police were originally the ones capturing the slaves and incarcerating people for that. And all we did was change the names, right? Yes, yes. Now, the thing I want to do, and it's so funny, interesting, funny, not ha ha. But one of the things that I keep entertaining is writing a series of poems about um, unstereotyping, because while that is the root of the police and um, definitely um, people are recruited that have those roots in them, there are authentically, there are genuinely police officers, peace officers who really want to protect and serve. And so um, I just had a friend who called me up um, about a month and a half ago and he said, Romaine, you'll never believe there's this paraplegic and he's got dreads and um, the police pulled him out of his car and he was calling for his friend. And I'm just so angry. Thankfully, we have social media. I jumped on. I looked at the whole thing and I was like, you know, in this situation, I might have done the same thing because he was coming out of a drug house. He had oodles of money that he said he saved. He's just driving around with oodles. of, And the police wanted to pull him out, you know, wanted him to get out. And he's like, no, I'm going to call my friends. Well, if I was a peace officer and I just saw somebody coming out of a drug house and had all this money, I'd be like, mm, I don't think so. I'm not waiting for backup. So, right. In that situation, there are, you know, to know the whole story before we form fists 
is so important so that when we cry out, we're crying out for the things that really need to be changed. So, um, yeah, I, I am a hundred percent with that. I have deputies in my courtroom that treat my mentally ill clientele very well, that protect the clientele from one another at times when they need to, that are very good to me, that are protective of me. And so I, I know there are police officers and deputies that are there for the right reasons. Yeah. And we, we have to acknowledge that. We, it is not an anti-police thing. It is an anti-racism. It's an institutional it's- thing, again. And the thing I do, I'm going to share his story. I have a friend, I won't say his name, even though it was a long time ago. And this goes to um, money and not having money. Um, he always dreamed of being a police officer. He, he's African-American and he went and served in the military. He got out. He joined the San Bernardino police force and he saw how they were targeting black people. And so you have that blue line you can't cross. And so he had to make a choice to join or leave. And he left and he worked at Toys R Us for a year and a half before he was able to move and find another police force that was not functioning in that way. So and where some as you write about in your book. um, Oh, my gosh. And the name of your the title of your book escapes me your your chat book. Um, oh, portrait of a deputy public defender. Yes, port, yes, where you write about um, being young and doing things that you know if you were a, in a different location might have gotten you locked up. Oh, for sure. Um, yeah, and so it all depends, and I think a lot of that does have to do with where you live and how much money is there. Yeah. Yes, definitely, and uh, not just money, but the community you live in, you know, the fact that I got pulled over in Laverne and got taken to jail um, for this warrant that I had from a couple jaywalking tickets. And, and, you know, the police were kind to me, ordered us a pizza. My husband bailed, my husband now, my boyfriend at the time bailed me out. But, um, you know, I can't tell you how many times I was let go or said, oh, you're fine. I mean, this was the seventies and eighties. I was, I could probably pass for white at times. And so I think I do have a lot of privilege growing up because I was a punk. Um, I had a Kager party. The police came. They did not arrest me. It's in my memoir, um, Tales of an Inland Empire Girl. I even told the police to F off. Yes. And I did not get arrested. And it's also in Portrait of a Public Defender. Also, And you have to excuse me for not remembering the title. I'm just bad. You saw how long it took me to find my own poem in my book. <laughs> <laughs> no, as John Brangenheim said, and when we were at this reading, he's like, the smallest book with like the longest title. And it's based on James Joyce's Portrait of the Artist. That's how I always remember it. But um, let's talk about, um, because it's already 735, I want to make sure I give you plenty Ooh. of time to, to read. Um there is such a, a sense of symphony in this book, Sirens in Her Belly, especially in poems like Profile, August 1965, where you capture the Watts riots so succinctly from the perspective of a young girl. Um, there's a memoir aspect to it. And then in We Need Video Cam Eyes about Rodney King, again, memory, history. And then my favorite, The Strange Fruit poem. Yeah. a communion where the musical influence is so overt and you know I'm a musical person um do you mind talking a little bit about how history music and sound play a part mm-hmm. in your writing and then read at least a couple more poems from the book if you don't mind 
Oh my goodness, what a beautiful question. Um, because they're all a part of who I am, the history and the music um, and the social justice um, from being in 1965, the Watts riots, um, for whatever reason, you know, we're all crafted differently. I love, love music and I love the music of language. Um, and so, and that's what went memorizing poems. The first poem I memorized was The Swing by Robert Louis Stevenson. And I used to sit on the swing and recite it as I was swinging. And so then Langston Hughes was my real first love in poetry. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, the music and history. Um, I love the blues. I just absolutely love the blues. And Strange Fruit has been covered so many times Unfortunately, because it's still, you know, George Floyd was a lynching. Um, it may, there may not have been a tree, but it definitely oh. was a lynching. So, um, you know, and the, the boys, the men, no, the boys, they're all teenage boys that I mention in um, Strange Fruit. And I am the mother of two Black sons. And both of them have experienced... Um, different encounters. And there's not a day where I don't wonder, you know, and I'm concerned because at any given moment. And so, yeah, at any given moment, you can be, because of the melanin in your skin, your lips, your nose, you could be flipped around to be an escaped slave. So, yeah. Yeah. 100%. Unfortunately, right? I mean, it's, it's, it's sad, but it's just reality. And the people that want to deny that, they have their choice, but they're just blinding themselves to what is true. And we it's it's visceral. I mean, how many uh, times do we have to see it play out on video to believe it? Now, what I do want to do, though, is um, there's so many ways that we can look at the hardships of African-Americans and what we have to endure in a system of institutional racism. However, we sing stronger than oppression. And so um, I have a poem to Lamont who, um, he protected me from bullies. And I have a poem about Spike Lee um, as I followed his career and the music Blanchard um, that did the music for a lot of his movies. His, the music is always exquisite in a Spike Lee movie. So I pay tribute to him. The um, music of a young girl named Shanika that I saw. Oh, I love that poem. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I don't just in the book, it's not just the sorrow that ex we experience collectively. It's also the joys of living, just living and enjoying being black and being and having the music of life around you. So yeah, it's both. <laughs> it's both. Uh, no, there is a sense of joy in, in the book. It is not, you know, my favorite works are always uh, books that blend sadness and and enjoy sadness and humor sadness and music um for me um i think someone has said that music is the most magical thing right yes, I, yes. it really is especially when you put it with poetry do you mind uh reading at least one more poem from sirens in her belly sure and i was just debating in my head which one would i read one <laughs> of my favorites is um i'm not going to read the spike lee i'm going to read sacrament and I love sacrament um, 
because it was just a beautiful experience with um, a, a young man from the Nation of Islam that when I lived in Georgia, who used to, I don't even know his name, um, but he gave me sacrament. And so I gave him the name, Roosevelt. Mm. Roosevelt sells fresh fruit on the corner, wears a suit and bow tie, straight lines, no creases, 90 degree summer, 20 degree winter, he sells pies. Roosevelt is there as sure as the stoplight. Each morning drive by to see his stark white shirt and teeth like clouds in sky. Invite me to gaze and dream. His eyes a hello of good morning. I must break even against the green go of traffic. How much? I ask. His hands full of ripe garden grown. Two dollars. He dangles breakfast before me and I feel as though we are Adam and Eve and this is every good tree right here on this corner. Roosevelt is good and I am good. God is good. The fruit is good. The homeless are waking from their benches. I can hear the cry of rusted shopping carts as though I were throwing money in a wishing well. I tell Roosevelt to feed someone who needs it. He says, I always do. Thrust an armful in my car. Serious, smile unchanged. No words, but his eyes say, take, eat. It has been given up for you. I bow my head and drive away. Wow. 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 So and I'm sure he doesn't even know who, you know, know this poem, but um, isn't that the beauty of people that you can touch a heart and a life without even knowing it? hundred percent. And look, it created that beautiful poem from that interaction. Yes. Yes. Wow. Well, I want to talk about your second book, which is Purgatory Has an Address. It was published by Bamboo Dart Press last year in 2021. Um, You can go to the Bamboo Dart Press website and buy it, everyone. Um, It's a chat book. Um, It's a stunning collection. Um, For me, it really was almost a memoir poetry book, right? Uh, There was such a sense of mother's, father's, son's family history in every poem. Um, How did the book come together? Um, When my mother died in 2016, I'm from a closed adoption and a small family. And so when she died, that was kind of the last familial link that I had besides my son's. And so I started to um, research. I I can only get non-identifying information about my birth parents. But growing up, there were all of these myths about who they were. And so I actually started to write about the myths of my birth parents after my mother died. And so that's the first part. Well, the transition into the narrative, because it starts with the story of poetry and that um, that connection of poetry that my mom didn't even understand, but that was there. Um, and then 
I wanted to tell the story of I'm actually working with a professor on bridges that carried us over. We've been interviewing the elders of San Bernardino because I have wow. found um, a more wholeness in uh, studying and learning about the place that I grew up in is um, as much a part of my parenting and my family as the adopted family that I grew up in. And so um, a lot of the poems, the, the social justice, if you will, poems were experiences in San Bernardino. Um, the cow, I grew up next to a farm. That was my buddy. <laughs> so oh, I'm getting goosebumps. And the reason I'm getting goosebumps, I just wrote a piece called Finding Your Place in Creative Writing. And it's about um, how we use place and how to write about home and how to find home in your stories, aside from tapping your ruby colored slippers together like Dorothy. Um, yeah. I, I love people that write about place. Yes. It, it becomes a character, right? It, it is. It's more than a character. It, it is the cradle that carries the writer. Oh. <laughs> so, so um, at least for me, I, I'm mm -hmm. not for all writers, but for me, yeah. that's been my experience. And so when the opportunity came for the chapbook, I have been writing and writing and writing. I still have a lot of poems that I haven't included in this narrative. And now I'm writing about the elders that I've had the chance to meet. Um, and so I'm feeling so whole um, learning about San Bernardino um, and its journey because it is, it's more than a character though. It is its own body and its own, its own person. Um, so. It is. No, it is. You know, I, you said about uh, living next to a farm. I have a story called my Tia Till, my uh, grandpa's house in my um, memoir. And it's a piece I've always seen cinematically. I've always wanted to capture um, 1980s, um, the cow farms in Norco where my grandpa's house was. And these three little girls looking at the cows and picking out the cows and counting the cows, that, yeah. that sense of place and history and time, right? It's yeah. not just geography. It's where you are in a specific place and time Absolutely. that matters. Yes. And it's that experience. There's a, a piece of being with the earth and being with things of the earth and having them talk to you without words. Um, words aren't powerful enough. It, there's, um, it's just a, a beautiful thing. And so, and then seeing that, it's wonderful. You see that and you experience that. And then you see a mall bloom somewhere. And, you know, all of these people commune and they buy things and then you see the mall die. Yes. Um, you think of San Bernardino, the Carousel Mall at one time, and, and now it's dead. But there's going to be something else, hopefully, because brick and mortar are disappearing. And so part of what I've been also working on and writing about is to use your cell phone to snap pictures of your brick and mortar because they're evaporating. Yeah. And, and I know as I was working on, um, as I'm working and writing, I'm like, oh, didn't we have a gas station that looked like something out of the Jetsons and I didn't have a picture of it. And so the places also become, you know, really important for you. Yeah. Yeah. And they can be the trigger to writing. You know, I've always used pictures and music to trigger my stories. Yeah. And I have pictures of my house in uh, Ontario growing up. I have pictures of the condo we lived in in Upland. I have pictures of me and my sisters when we were young. I have pictures of my grandpa. Um, and you so- 
beautiful. Both of your your memoirs, the images in your memoirs are just they really draw you in and mm-hmm. they really make you feel like you're a part of you're being told the story, but also like you're sitting with the story mm-hmm. and we're looking uh, right along as you're telling us. Yes. Well, I've always, I daydream, I'm going to tell a little secret here. I daydream when I drive to work and I'll sing go-go's and stuff and I'll daydream of like a three act play mm-hmm. and a couple of the stories on, on the stage and me singing in the background, like, karaoke and it's dorky like who would want to go see that like this little one woman show kind hey, of thing. you never know <laughs> but you know I'm taking an adaptation course at UNO this semester my one class for my MFA and I'm going to try to adapt one of the stories into something I don't know what but I mean it's fun to think about how something can morph genres Yes. And you can use that imagery in a different way. Um, I really want to give you a chance to read, and then we're going to go to at least eight tonight, um, just so we have plenty of time. I want you to read from Purgatory Has an Address for at least another three or four minutes, and then we'll go over your events coming up. We'll talk about my book party on Saturday that you're also going to read at, and my wonder <laughs> twin. Um, but I really appreciate you taking time to come to my book party on Saturday and read, because you were at my first book party, and you wrote this epic poem for me that made me cry. <laughs> You almost ruined my eyeliner. So I'm going to give you the stage. I'm going to mute my mic and I'm going to let you read. And then we'll uh, oh my goodness. let so me know when you're ready. Pick and choose what I want to share. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'll, I'm going to share two and they're rather lengthy. Okay, good. Okay. Yeah. And so tell everyone the name of your book again, where they can get it. And then I'm going to give you, I'm going to give you the stage. Bye. Well, I'm still here. Is- Okay. This is Purgatory Has an Address, and it's published by Bamboo Dart Press. Um, You can go on their website and purchase it there. Amazon, Barnes & Noble online. Um, There's a list of places that you can purchase it um, when you go on Bamboo Dart Press, and also when you go on my website, um, www.romainewashington.com. I have a list of places where you can um, publish, um, publish, where you can purchase the book. Um, I'm going to share with you Rare Boombox, um, and this poem, I love it for a couple of reasons, the reason why I want to share it with you. Choya Needles is also a local uh, reading um, in Southern California, and I submitted this poem, and I thought it was finished. It was very short, but I thought it captured the event that I experienced, and the um, editor said, I really like this poem. I like the rhythm, but I don't know um, this person really well. I don't know Leroy. Can you tell me more about Leroy? And so Leroy, um, I sat with Leroy. And from that came Br'er Boombox. One, Leroy and them got clean, wild laughs like air full of jokes and Afro pics. I never hear they mama tell them be safe, come home but no, she do. They a little older than me, don't really know them, but feel like I do. Like the bus be a 200 year old boat we've been riding too long. I lean my head full of tired sun against the window. Bus stop, door belches open. Leroy and them loud talking, bud walking, claim territory in the back of the bus. Boom box blasting, wave your hands in the air feel like there's no air in here. But Leroy laughed like cool grass and green trees. Hey driver, why we ain't got no air in here? Black Mac, 
our regular driver would have made a joke like he be part of we be fam. Leroy would lean back, put headphones on, bop, quiet smile, satisfied. Two, Hank is white shirt, small frame, looking like sweat don't know his name. Type of man who might chuckle but never heave a full laugh. If he did, you think he might be passing gas. Wasn't one of us in talk skin deed or thought. Never had to strategize to get what he want. He rear viewing Leroy without a clue of what to say or do. <clears throat> you need to hold that noise down. You're disturbing the other passengers. Leroy laughs a little too loud and long. Hank's face is beat, but he don't call for backup. Does not back up. Stands his ground. He parks. White pants walk stern to the back of the bus. Orders Leroy and him, kill the sound or get off. Leroy and them look like they murder just for fun. Who you think you talking to, little man? I pay like everybody else. Go on up and drive. No one say nothing. I face forward. Quick scuffle. Leroy and them jump off the bus, Afro picks bobbing in the air, boombox clutch to chest, bass beating fear and feet. They fly into invisible. I want to say, Leroy, this ain't what it means to be a man. But that moment be gone. I stare at flies hovering over stab beads of blood. So that's Leroy. That's for Leroy. And, um, Oh, my goodness. I need to take a breath. I'm going to read All-American Pastime, and then I'm going to read one more. Hopefully, we have enough time. Um, sun is a blaring white ball of rays beating us like a bat till skin bleeds sweat. Mouths full of heat, boys hack and spit, bus stop sidewalk. Cop strolls over, book in hand, demands names. Presses tickets to 14-year-old black boys' palms. Penal code, illegal to spit in public. We spit protests, sunflower seed chomping, tobacco chewing ballers spit. Boxers rinse and spit. Footballers rinse and spit. Cop blank stares us. Ignorance is no excuse. Hand on belt, he turns his head, spits a blaring white ball. Foul on the way home. No umpire to intervene. We retreat to benches. Learning the first strategy in survival is knowing who not to trust. The loud buzz of a fat fly threatens us to swat. The second strategy in survival is knowing when to swing. So those that's the first encounter I had of the justice system or... Um, injustice that can corner you. Um, and it stayed with me. It's still with me. Um, and I got more stories to tell about that. Um, that is my favorite poem in that book. And the, from the title to the imagery, to the substance, to the conversation you're having with the reader. And it's just everything. Thank you. Thank you. You want to read one more and then we'll get into your into upcoming events? Yes. Yes. Okay, great. This is my love affair with uh, San Bernardino and the Santa Anas. And for those of us who've lived here, 
we know that the Santa Anas have a nickname called the Devil's Breath. And this is called At the End of the Devil's Breath. July. Wilted cereal in a bowl. We drown in brown milk. The haze of sparklers and fireworks add to the deafening heat that drips into August. Caged in by smog, air smells of cigarettes and black exhaust. Surely this place is meant to ignite. September. When he arrives, he thinks this is a flat plain where desert dirt covers everything like snow and sweat is meant for breathing. But then October and the devil's breath laps up lotion, claws skin with its vicious teeth, yowling roofs beat whoosh and bend of threatened windows. Tree leaves sound like ocean, stripped dry, littered bare limbs. The hard ones snap right for a switch. Used to be gangs of tumbleweeds ran the streets. Now solitary wadded balls of rootless limbs roll by. November is a postcard miracle. Surrounded snow-capped crisp sky where our eyes hang wide like eagles. We perch low in the valley shadow, straining to see the walk of fame. Sunset in Hollywood, Palm Springs, peer into the pier of the Pacific. Every mountain peak is paramount. He says, if it weren't for the devil's breath, I'd never know where we are and just how beautiful. And I felt weird reading that because we just had these horrific windstorms that literally snapped trees and fell into houses. And I thought, is this the time to read about the beauty of, but the air? afterwards oh my gosh so yeah yeah I'm in the wind tunnel I'm in uh uh by DeVore in San Bernardino unincorporated and I mean it was Dorothy kind of Kansas kind of thing thought I was going to take you up and I had um my sister's uh relative her stepdaughter's house uh their condo community in Pomona how a tree fell on it uh, didn't hurt her or the baby, but she almost got trapped. And then my best friend's daughter, who just moved to Covina, um, they had electrical wires and they were stuck in their apartment for a day. And then the fire department had to come get them out. So, yeah, the winds can be um, just like words, negative mm-hmm. and positive. Right. It blows out the the, you know, neg- it blows out the smog, but it also mm-hmm. can you know harm us. And so, yeah. And, and the devil's breath. And so, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but, oh, you know, yeah. but it is purgatory. Our, our lives are filled with great beauty and great pain. So, um, yeah. yeah. Thank Definitely. you. For that. Um, so um, tell us about your upcoming events. Okay. Um, and first, I'm going to tell everyone about this Saturday at the Garcia Center. I want to give a shout out to Inlandia and to the Garcia Center and Frank Kearns from Los Nietos, who's watching. Thank you. We're all going to be there. Romaine's going to be there, too, reading. My twin sister, Jackie's going to read. And we're going to be promoting my new book. Tales of an Inland Empire Girl. It's over a decade, almost 15 years in the making. Um, And so we're promoting that. And um, I'll be selling my book. And And signing them. And signing signing them them with my um, special pens that you can also buy and little stickers Mm -hmm. that my husband made me to sell. And um, it's going to be a celebration, though. There's going to be wine, cheese, cake, and LaCroix. And uh, come on by. It's from 1 to 3 p.m. So 
So. And I can tell you from reading at the, the opening of your book that that part, the publishing party, she knows how to throw a party. So, so I'm so looking forward to reading there this coming Saturday. And I have them on my note cards just so I don't forget. Um, Saturday is going to be crazy hectic for me because we have a celebration and panel discussion for Bridges That Carried Us Over, where we've been interviewing um, the elders of uh, San Bernardino. And that's uh, Amina Carter was the founder of that. So from 1030 to 1230, uh, Facebook, i.e. Black History, you can go on Bridges That Carried Us Over and you can come on and, and listen to us there. Then we have from one to three. That's Bridges That Carry Us Over? Bridges That Carry Us Over. And it comes from a um, Fannie Lou Hamer quote. Um, Never but praise the bridges that carry us over. Don't forget where you came from. Um, that's that's not the wording, exact wording of the quote, but that's where that came from. So we're gonna have a celebration and panel discussion, uh 1030 to 12:30. Then I'm gonna hop on over and go to the Garcia Center and enjoy my friend Juanita and um, get another book and get it signed <laughs> so I can donate it to the library at school. And then, um, <laughs> and then September third, um, Spectrum Thirty is having a reading, the same day from three to five on Zoom, and so I'll be hopping on Zoom for that. Then February third again in Landia. Did I go too quickly for that? No, you didn't. But tell people how to access that. Would they go to your website? Yes, you can go to my website actually for more detailed information. And if there's not enough detail, you can contact me and I will be sure to respond to you in email. So the link for Spectrum 30 is on the events page. You just click on the events page. You'll see where I'm, what I'm going to be doing. Um, and what's your website name? Um, what's the HTTP? www.romainwashington.com. And Romaine has an E on the end of it. And it's spelled just like the lettuce. Um, so RomaineWashington.com, um, and you'll have the links there. And a big thank you to Inlandia and Blacklandia um, for a panel discussion and poetry reading, which will be on Zoom February 3rd from 7 to 8 p.m. Um, and it's going to be James Coates, who's phenomenal. Um, George Hammonds, who is phenomenal. He's a poet laureate. James Coates, I get the feeling he might be a poet laureate soon. Um, and Lydia Theon Werai, who is just a wonderful, divine woman of God and a brilliant poet. So they're going to be part of that panel. Um, the collective radio program, um, I will be on that February 20th. And I forgot to write the time and um, Gina Duran is the um, host. Oh, you're going to be on the collective? Yes, the collective. Yes. So I'll be on that radio program and you can find the details and how to hop on there on my website. And then um, I think it's two o'clock usually, right? Two or three. And I okay. know it's on Sundays. Yeah. And um, then February 27th, I'm a part of a group called Women Who Submit. And we have this anthology called Gathering. And so we're going to be doing a reading um, at Rorschach. Um, and it is, I think it's online. I'm pretty sure it's online. You can go on my website. And um, that's February 27th. And I believe it's at four. I didn't is that virtual, you said? I believe so. Um, I'm so, let's see, I'm going to click on here real quick. And, yeah. um, ooh, 
And yeah. I know the women who submit crew, I mean, it's Lucy Rodriguez Hanley, it's Sochi. Wow. I mean, there's so many, yeah. uh, there's so many uh, great writers in that group and, and you're probably yes. one of the superstars, but there's a lot of good people that are going to read. So host, the host is David Rockland and it will be um, online. The collective is 4 p.m. on Sunday, February 20 with uh, Gina Duran and um yeah, all the links are provided on my website. So Yeah, and Gina Duran is amazing. She runs IE Hope Collective. She's also does yoga. She was on my podcast season one. And um, I was on her show, and uh, I dropped a cuss word. Uh, so I apologize, <laughs> Gina Duran. <laughs> yes. uh, but I didn't, it wasn't the F-bomb. It was like the S word. Oh, okay. Yeah, she is, what a beautiful spirit she is. Um, really wanting to, really wanting ready to give, uh, full of love and hope and positivity. So, um, all so of- shout out to her, watch yeah. the collective, watch Romain on it. Any yeah. other events? Yeah. Um, and you and I are in um, AWP. We're going to have the virtual for chapbook memoirs. There's another um, Pasadena Lit Fest. There's a small publishing um, festival. And I'm gathering the information, specific information. And as it comes in March, I will be putting that way before March. I'll be putting it on the web page. But um, definitely please visit and um just say hi if you want to, you know, just say hi on, on the website. But um, those are the play And come and say hi. That would be, whew, just tickle my toes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the AWP, we don't know the date yet, but we've already recorded our virtual episode. So anyone that wants to watch that, you actually have to buy an AWP virtual pass. So I'll put that on my Life of Gem page and uh, put a link to Romaine's website on my Life of Gem page. So everyone can just go to the Life of Gem page and I'll, I'll put her website on my page. Um, I also want to shout out Tim Hatch, who's uh, wrote a beautiful chat book through Bamboo Dart called Wild Embrace. And he's going to be on this podcast February 23rd, I believe. I'm going to double check that date real quick. Um, any other events, Romaine? Well, um, you're a busy lady. Yeah. <laughs> I also am uh, facilitating a workshop for Inlandia on Tuesdays. Every other Tuesday, we just had a workshop Um last Tuesday, but it's not too late to join us because each um, session is its own session where we, um, oh, oh. And it's a beautiful group of people that we have and it's on Zoom. So it's virtual. There's actually a lady from Colorado that's joined us and just, it's wonderful. So that's also on the event page. So I'm doing that as well. Um, and I just am, um, a shout out to Bamboo Dark Press because I always wanted to have, I always heard about nominated for a Pushcart prize and that I've always wanted that and that they did that would just tickled me. Um, so Congratulations. Well yes, deserved. They're nominated. doing the work of publishers because publishers are supposed to look for those opportunities to help you to shine. And so um, it's been a beautiful experience working with small press. Um, I I agree. I mean, Mark Givens and Dennis Calici, from the way they uh, did the product to the way they do the covers, they're just and the way that they market everything. They're such pros. And I know, you know, um, Dennis has um, experience with record uh, production and marketing and Mark has telekinesis but bamboo dart is kind of the best of both worlds because it has like this small town feel 
but it has like a really good person, two good people behind it to push us out there and do the nominations and stuff like that. So important to put us out there, you know? And I I do want to say for Jammy, one of the beautiful things is it's really hard to break in the publishing industry when as a person of color. And so to have a local press that um, speaks to the African-American community is um, it's a lifeline. So all of their books, you can go on Jammy uh, Publishing and check out the books that they have because I'm not the only person that they've published and all of the books are wonderful. Mm-hmm. And I buy, I continue to buy from both small presses and read what they're um, creating because they're, they're good quality things. And to know that I'm going to shake people's hands that wrote these books is great. Yeah. Wow. I know. I, I'm a book addict. I mean, I probably buy at this point a couple books every week, and I'm privileged that I have the resources to do that. But I just really love to have the book in my hand. And then sometimes I'll get a Kindle copy too, so it's on my phone if I want it. And yeah. I, to me, it's like I don't really buy clothes anymore because of COVID. I stopped shopping, and I just buy books. <laughs> hey, now, feed the mind. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And I try to go local. Everyone try to go local. Go to the press website if you can. I mean, hey, I won't be offended where you buy my book. And I know Romaine won't either. It's up to you. But try and to the, go local if you can. The last thing I'm going to say as we're doing our plugs um, is if you read a book and you really enjoy the book, um, leave a little review, a little comment. Mm-hmm. It's it's always an encouragement for the writer, for the publisher, and for someone who might be contemplating purchasing the book. So, yeah. No, those reviews mean everything. And you'd be amazed at how hard it is to get them. Some people are better than others. I'm not, I'm good at getting blurbs. Getting people to review my book hasn't, has been hard. And uh, I, I try to do a little, like, so I'm going to say this. If anyone writes a review of Romaine, Romaine's book, I will send you a, a pen and a sticker. And uh, so someone, if you buy Romaine's book, please put a review, tag me or email me, let me know you did it. And I'll send you a little gift bag for doing that for Romaine. You know, we got to support one another and review, read her book, buy her book first, both Sirens in Her Belly and Purgatory Has an Address. They're both very reasonably priced. And like I said, you're going to be supporting two small presses that are amazing and then review them. Just write a little review, whether it's on Goodreads, Amazon, wherever you want to put it. Amazon's a little tricky because sometimes you got to buy from Amazon to be verified, but that's okay. You can do Goodreads. And a lot of people look at Goodreads. A lot of people look at Bookshop. A lot of people look at these uh, kind of alternatives to Amazon, obviously, because we don't need to give Jeff Bezos any money. And then also you can sometimes on the small press, I think for Purgatory, um, for Bamboo Dark Press, you can even leave a review there. So yeah. You can. And that's BambooDarkPress.com. And you can find Romaine's book and there is a tab where you can put a review up. Yeah. So, and and I'm, once I retire, I'm getting ready to retire. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to do is all the books that I've read that my friends and just people that I don't know, but they become my friends through their writing. um, I'm going to start going on even uh, three, four years back, I'm going to go on and start doing the the reviews. Ah, we look forward to those because I mean, they're going to be well-written. We know that. 
So um, while we're ending here, I'm going to tell you about a couple of guests that are coming up. I have Tim Hatch on February 23rd, uh, a writer and attorney uh, that I work with in Riverside named Greg Rollins wrote a really good book about being a DA and transitioning to private criminal defense pra- practice. And he really gives shines a light on the issues with prosecutors offices. And he was a history major and he's a great writer. Um, I have uh, Gina Frangello on, on April 6th. She wrote a beautiful book called Blow the House Down. Um, And then I have Jose Hernandez Diaz on May 25th, Stephanie Barbie Hammer, who's also a Bamboo Dart Press uh, published author, and she has many books. Um, Stephanie will be on June 22nd. Writer and Inlandi executive director, Katie Porter, who's a hero to so many. Oh, my God. She just does so much. She'll be on July 20th. And then Nancy Laird-Young, who wrote a book called Tea with My Father, she's going to be on August 17th. So I'm doing these podcasts every month right now. If you really want to be on, I could probably fit you in somewhere. So if anyone's watching and they want to be on, just message me. Um, I really am trying to focus on writers from the Inland Empire this season. I do have Gina Frangello, who's from Chicago, but mostly it's and Jose Hernandez Diaz, who he's from um, L.A., I believe. But it's going to be writers from Southern California primarily this season, because I think that's really important. And the thing that I love about you, Romaine, and we have to end with this is your focus and my focus, San Bernardino, reducing the stigma, lifting us up, showing that this is a town that is so beautiful. Beautiful. Yes, absolutely. When I, when I was talking about where I have my book party, I I'm like, I have to have it in San Bernardino County. I had my first one at the Riverside Art Museum, which is beautiful, but I was like, the Garcia Center is so lovely. Yes, it is. It really is. I'm looking forward to Saturday. Yes. Yeah. And I think I'm going to take pictures. I, I need to start following my own advice and taking pictures of places that are of beauty around us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that idea. Let's all memorialize this stuff. Take the photos, you know, yeah. because you can't recreate something once it's gone. Montclair Plaza is in my memoir and all the stores are closing. And it's yeah. like, who knows if they're eventually going to close that mall down, Carousel Mall. I mean, I remember I used to walk around that mall, the Carousel Mall, and, yes. you know, a- along with Montclair and all these other malls. But Victoria Gardens, you know, it's not really a mall. It's more of an outdoor space. But oh, um, oh, hey, 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 hey. Yeah. Yeah. It's a mall. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I live that's Rancho Cucamonga. So I live. I, I love Victoria Gardens. People put it down, but I love me. I love me some Victoria Gardens. I'm sorry. But I love malls. I love shopping, you know, so. Oh, window shopping is, is beautiful. And you know what? To be honest, though, I usually just walk around there. I, I usually don't buy, but it's such a beautiful place to walk around. So. It really is nice. And then we have Ontario Mills as well. You know, I go there all the time to the pinup boutique because they have a, some rockabilly stuff there. So, you know, it's nice to kind of appreciate the IE. Yes. Yes. The empire. Yeah. <laughs> Which is kind of the opposite of an empire, but yeah, I, I mean, the, and you know, whenever I say the IE to people that are not from uh, California, they're like, you mean the internet explorer? I'm like, no. Right. The empire. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, I just want to highlight a couple of comments before we go. Frank Kern said, thank you so much, Romaine and Juanita. Such a great show. Uh, Alan Kalichi said, the Victoria Gardens Library is the best. She's a librarian. It is. It is. Love you, Alan. Uh, oh. He wrote a gro- great book with Bamboo Dart Press as well. And Alan, I would love to have you on. So I'm going to email you. I'm going to fit you into the summer schedule. And um, I just ha- and Alan actually is actually presenting with us at AWP as well. 
Yes. Yes, he is. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful time we have putting that together. Yes. Uh, and then we also have um, Lucinda Shaw Cat- Chatham enjoyed your podcast. Your podcast, first time viewer, um, first time caller, first time viewer, and she's reading Inland Empire Girl. Um, And so everyone, I just have to tell you, you know, it's so important. The reason I started this podcast is because I really wanted to support the writers I love. That's beautiful. This is all self-funded. I Now I do the tech myself. My poor husband mm-hmm. had to order a cable yesterday to get me connected so I don't freeze anymore. I'm plugged into my router. And I just want you all to know, this is just, this is, this is a labor of love. And I, Romaine, I just have to say, you're one of my favorite people in the world. You know that. Oh, and <laughs> favorite poet, favorite person. And I I just love you so much. And I thank you for being on. Do you have any final words for people? Yes. I want to thank everybody that's tuned in. And I really appreciate, I want to thank you Juanita for the invitation to be here. And um, you made it a wonderful experience. Um, It was a pleasure. And I look forward to seeing, um, I look forward to seeing all of you who are here and maybe those who watch it later on. And, um, just gratitude, gratitude, gratitude in the middle of a pandemic, there's beauty. So um, thank you. True. That is so true. And so pick up her books. Purgatory has an address, which you can find on the Bamboo Dart Press website, Sirens in Her Belly. I'm, you supposed, can... to, I'm supposed to pick up my book on her. I'm so yeah. bad at stuff. <laughs> buy her books. Go on your phone right now and oh. buy her books. And here's Gathering. Uh, Gathering is so cool because it's an anthology of women who really honed their craft. And mm-hmm. um, you, hmm, Gathering by uh, women who submit, you can go on Amazon and you, I think Jammy, Jammy Publishing, you can go there and get this. Oh, wow. And that's J A M A I I. Yeah, J A M I I Publishing. And so um, you can get gathering from from there. This is I love this collection. Um, Those are my sister friends. Uh, Yeah. So thank you all for watching. Also, if you want to attend the workshops that um, the Blacklandia series or the workshop that Romaine is teaching and facilitating for Inlandia, just go to the Inlandia Institute website, either on Facebook or on the Internet. And they have all that information. All you do is click a little thing and you can, and the workshops are free. I think you can give a donation. So I mean, tell me where you can get a free workshop with an acclaimed poet. (laughs) And Blacklandia actually has its own website now. So you can just go on Blacklandia and click on there to find upcoming events too. Wow. Well, it's been fun. Thank you so much, everyone, for watching. Thank you, Romaine. People tune in on February 23rd for Tim Hatch. Yes. Bye, everybody. Bye.